assembling together as God's people is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus, of remaining strong in the world and serving God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is what it's all about. Being Christian means you hold fast to God. You know He's going to take care of you. You trust in Him. You don't let go of Him. Well, how do we accomplish that? Verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, I need you to help me to keep on holding fast to God and serving God and emulating the character of Christ and walking by the Spirit. Okay? How or in what context are we going to be able to stir each other up to help each other toward this goal? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is one passage of a number. It's just the easiest one to point out because it's really clear, and it gives the grand significance of Christians meeting together, assembling together, because it's not just about us spending time together or checking off a box as some sort of act of religious devotion. It's about us fueling each other's hearts and souls to stay faithful to God and to serve Him. Lately, at this time in history, a lot of Christians have not been able to meet or for various reasons have chosen to forego or modify the ways that they meet together. And for those of us here in Brooklyn, we're having to think about what do we do about this? We know from all throughout Scripture how vital it is for Christians to be together whether that's in the assembly of the whole church coming together on the first day of the week, or even in smaller meetings together, as this text says, or assemblies, small groups of people gathering for prayer or for Bible study or to have dinner to talk about the things that matter in life in the Lord. What are we supposed to do whenever we're told that actually meeting with others might actually be a harm to them? How are we supposed to think about it? What are we supposed to do about it? We're going to talk about that, but before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit about just the nature of church on a couple of levels. One, the definition of the word church. The definition of the word church is a group of people who've been called out and called together for some purpose. This word will be used in Acts chapter 19 to refer to a political assembly in the, the city of Ephesus. It, the word church isn't usually, it's not translated that way, but the same Greek word, ekklesia, that gets translated church in every other place, gets used to talk about a, an assembly, a political assembly. So you might think about like a town hall meeting, a gathering of people, not just a sort of um, informal, oh, hey, there happen to be 20 people in this restaurant. Here's a gathering of people. No, no, we're talking about an intentional, purposeful gathering of people who've come together for some reason. Okay, so that's the definition of the word church. But what is the essence of the church? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus spoke about his church that he would build, his group of people that he would call out. And this language is prevalent throughout the New Testament, that God has his church, that Jesus bought the church with his blood. And whenever you read throughout the New Testament, it becomes apparent that the notion of church for Jesus, his group that he's called together, called out of the world, and called together for a purpose— to serve him, includes everybody who's ever come to be saved by Christ. So that includes people who've died. That includes people who are alive all over the world. If you're in Jesus Christ, then you're a part of his church. But it's also true that in the New Testament, you'll read language about the church at Jerusalem or the church at Antioch. 
or the church of God in Christ Jesus in Thessalonica, or Paul would speak of the churches of Christ that greet saints. Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he says, to the church of God which is at Corinth, along with all those who call on the name of the Lord. So here's the point. While it's true that the, the gathering of people that Jesus has includes all saved people, living or dead, all around the world, doesn't matter space and time, there's also a sense that the word church is used to talk about particular local groups. Some people distinguish these two dimensions of church by identifying the universal church, everybody, all time, all places that are saved, and a local church, people in a particular space and time who are working together. By the way, you may say, I don't know if that's really legit, that much of a difference. Well, there's a lot of commandments that a church is supposed to do, and I'll just refer you, I'm not trying to be cute by saying it this way, but I'll refer you to the entirety of the New Testament to see this fact. You can read through the New Testament and see over and over, there's all these instructions of what churches are supposed to do. It's pretty clear. It's stuff you'd have to do in a local sense. It's not something you could do with dead people who are a part of the church that Jesus built. It's not something you could do with people hundreds or thousands of miles away. There are certain activities that people are supposed to do in church that you can't do with every single Christian. You've got to do it with people up close and personal. Pooling of resources, uh, disciplining each other, which implies that we actually know each other and have a relationship with each other. I could go on, but you read all throughout the New Testament. It's clear there's this close connection of the local church. By the way, maybe another way to think about this, if it would help you, the church that Jesus built is a heavenly fellowship. We use that word a lot, maybe misuse it sometimes. But the idea of fellowship is sharing something, being committed to something together, working and being a part of something. Okay, so the heavenly fellowship is what Jesus creates. Every single Christian, every person who's baptized into Christ is a part of the heavenly fellowship. Living or dying, doesn't matter where you live on earth, all those who are in Christ are a part of that heavenly fellowship. But they're also earthly fellowships, connections that Christians have with one another in ways they join together in earthly fellowships. And that's another way to think about this universal local church idea. Okay, I know that may seem a little bit tangential. Okay, how do, what does that have to do with Christians coming together as a church? It's helpful because we need to think about what are assemblies all about. What is the purpose of an assembly or what's the purpose of a church in general? Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read a couple verses from Ephesians chapter 4 and then a little bit from 1 Corinthians as well, just to kind of highlight what the purpose of a church is, because this will help us in thinking about church assemblies, what they're about, what they're for, why they're important, how we should think about them now. In Ephesians 4 and beginning in verse 13, we're kind of jumping in midstream, but Paul's talking about the people of God in Christ. By the way, this passage, I think, blends the two notions we just laid out of universal and local church. The heavenly fellowship of all those who've been saved in Christ and the earthly fellowships of Christians who bind themselves together to work together. But listen to this here. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 13, Paul speaks of the building up, sorry, verse 12, the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can hear that the reason why our relationships in our earthly fellowships are so important is so that we can build each other up. Now, you'll notice here this notion of the body would include all Christians everywhere. But you can see that I can't build up people who have already passed on. I don't have any relationship with them. I can't help them. Similarly, there's Christians all around the world who I've never met, never will meet, and I'm going to have very limited, if any at all, impact on them and building them up. The people I can build up are the people that I can relate to, interact with, speak the truth in love with, as Paul points out here in this text. Another text that similarly helps us understand why these relationships in church are so important is 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1, the context here is the Corinthians were having some troubles understanding why God gifts um, members of the body with different abilities and capabilities. And in chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Pursue love, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, that is in a foreign language, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation or comfort. If you skip down with verse 12, Paul says, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. When you pair Ephesians 4 with 1 Corinthians 14, I think something becomes pretty clear. The purpose that God has for local churches, the earthly fellowships where Christians come together and work together and do a lot of activities together as a church, is to build up the saints. We all struggle. We all get weak. We all face temptations and trials and discouragements. And God has provided us the resource that we need to be able to elevate above those things, to keep serving Him, honoring Him, glorifying Him. The key to that is building each other up. And that's the purpose of a local church. Okay, um, maybe I'll say one more thing before we talk about church assemblies. Some might say, well, wait, we can do that person to person, and that's true. We should be doing that person to person, building each other up. And some might say, well, I thought we are the church. Like Anybody who's in Christ, that is the church. Church isn't about a location, which is absolutely right. We are the church. And so anytime any number of saints come together, then that's the church. Well, there's a sense in which that's true. Remember, heavenly fellowship, universal church, If you have been baptized into Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, then you are the church, and you carry the church with you wherever you go. But check out what happens in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18. Paul used some language that's maybe for us with some of our lack of appreciation for the totality of the New Testament. Sometimes it might seem surprising. I don't think it seems surprising or even would have been a big deal to the saints at this time. But I want you to listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18. He says, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. I'm not getting into all the context of this in this exact moment, except to say that Paul's addressing the Lord's Supper in this context. Here's the point. 
Paul doesn't say when you come together or when you when you all spend time together. He says when you come together as a church. In other words, there's something unique about when Christians say, hey, this isn't just a few of us hanging out or a few of us spending time together, but actually the whole church is coming together. And you see that kind of language or hints at that throughout the New Testament. There's a difference in Christians informally spending time together or even small pockets of Christians deciding to invest time with one another. That's valuable. That's essential. I think that's part of what Hebrews 10 is exhorting us to continue in. But there is a difference when a church comes together, a group of people who've committed to pool their resources, for instance, to be able to accomplish God's work in the world, a group of people who determine membership, who's a part of this group. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul spoke about how they needed to put a man out of their midst because he was continuing in gross sexual immorality and didn't seem to care. Well, the point being there, they knew these are the people who are part of our church and there are people who are not part of our church. We may make mistakes on who should or shouldn't be part of our church, by the way. We may not understand that someone uh, someone may say, oh, I'm in the heavenly fellowship. I'm a part of the universal church. I've been baptized into Christ. And in reality, they're an imposter. We may receive someone in our local group and by mistake because we don't have perfect vision on these things. Similarly, we might exclude someone, which would be a terrible thing, but to exclude someone who should be a Christian. You see that in the book of 3 John where that happened. Here's the point. There was a definition of, here's the people who are part of this church, and there's something unique about that relationship and that bond and something special about the times when the church comes together. That doesn't mean every single member has to be present in order for the church to assemble. But the point is that there is a dedicated, special activity that happens when a group of saints say we're going to work together and we are going to be meeting together working together as a church there's a whole lot more to say about some of the things that churches do but i'll just point out that assembling is one of the things that churches do it's one of the most fundamental things actually that churches do remember our definition of church A church is an assembly, a gathering, a group of people who've been called together for some sort of purpose. So actually, the very fundamental definition of church points us to coming together as a crucial activity that we engage in and must engage in on a regular basis. So what does all this information mean for us now when it comes to church assemblies? Well, back to Hebrews 10. The scriptures command us, to not forsake the assemblies. That would be of every kind, by the way. This doesn't just mean coming together on the first day of the week, for instance, but it would include that. We can't forsake this. It's got to be something that we continually pursue. It's also important to note that in the New Testament, there's an emphasis given on the fact that um, actually being together is significantly different than whatever forms of communication or connection we can maintain when we don't come together. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 3, the passage we were talking about earlier with the uh, putting out a sinner from from amongst a church fellowship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 3, he says, I'm assembled with you in spirit, calling attention to the fact that he's actually not assembled with them. It's not really the same thing. In 2 John verse 12, John, the apostle, was writing to, it's kind of unclear and people debate whether it was an individual or a group of people 
who he refers to as the elect lady. could be a friend who is a godly woman, or it could be a church that he's referring to as uh, the elect lady in that place. Either way, as he writes this letter, he concludes it, and he says, I have many things that I want to say to you, but I don't want to write them with ink. I'm going to wait until I can see you face to face. Do you hear that? John, an apostle, who had more apostolic instruction to give, he said, you know what? I don't want to write it down. I want to see you face to face. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul would oftentimes send teachers and preachers to churches in order to administer teaching in person. Well, Paul, why don't you just write it? Isn't it just the same if you write it? Apparently not. Um, the end of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, he speaks about Timothy coming to them, how he wanted Apollos to come to them. In 2 Corinthians 7, he talks about sending Titus to check in on the brethren and to see what was going on. Well, why couldn't Paul just ask for them to write a letter? Apparently there was something different about a person being present and the interaction that happens between human beings whenever they uh, interact in that way. Another fact from the New Testament that shows the importance of actually coming together and illustrates the, the limitations of communications and connections we could have through letters and writing as people would do in older times or now through text messages or video calls or phone calls or whatever. The New Testament speaks a lot about the importance of greeting one another. Sometimes it'll just be a general vague, greet one another. Sometimes there'll even be statements of physical interaction, like extending the right hand of fellowship, Galatians 2, or greet one another with a holy kiss. The implication being you need some sort of connection or touch with each other. That's an important part of Christian interaction is actually coming in contact with each other, doing things face-to-face. And I'll point out that the holy kiss thing, that's not every single commandment. Some commandments are just greet one another. But the point is, um, do something where you're interacting with each other face-to-face, in person, in the flesh, not just in spirit. Here's the, the catch, though. There are times we see in Scripture where godly people either were placed in circumstances or even place themselves in circumstances where they were unable to assemble with the church. One example would be the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is a little bit of supposition, so perhaps I'm wrong about this, but I think this is uh, right to see it this way. In Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch, the court official of the government there, he's preached uh, the gospel to by Philip in Acts 8. He's baptized into Christ. He's saved from his sins. And he goes on his way rejoicing, and he goes home to Ethiopia, where up until that point in the record in the book of Acts, we have no indication there were any other Christians in Ethiopia. So he goes home, and he would have been the only Christian there. He would have been unable to meet with the church until, I'm pretty sure this guy would have been converting some folks pretty quickly, but still, there would have been a time, it would appear, that he wouldn't have been able to meet with saints. The Apostle Paul A little bit different situation, but put himself in a circumstance where he was arrested, put in prison, unable to meet with a church. And we know of at least one imprisonment that's recorded at the end of the book of Acts and then referenced in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And it appears that he had another imprisonment that he writes about in 2 Timothy. So there you go. Paul, oh, and Paul's not the only one. John, the writer of the book of Revelation, uh, maybe I should say the receiver of the vision that became the book of Revelation, visions that became the book of Revelation. John was on the island of Patmos, um, an island of exile where people were sent whenever they were criminals. So there you go, two apostles 
who weren't able to meet with Christians because of circumstances essentially out of their control. You get the point. There are some instances where Christians aren't able to meet with saints. But that doesn't negate all that we've talked about. There are things that Christians are supposed to do, and in order to fulfill the commandments, we have to do them in the presence of others, some of them even when we come together as a church, worshiping together, teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as the Scriptures teach, taking of the Lord's Supper as a church when we come together, which is the emphasis there in 1 Corinthians 11. That's still there, and yet we see there are instances where Christians weren't able to do this. So we're still left with it. And frankly, it's pretty tough, I think. I feel really torn and conflicted as I look at these things in Scripture about what we're supposed to do. A lot of this comes down to our understanding of, okay, are we in a situation that's analogous to being put in prison or living in a location where there are no other Christians? Is dealing with the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions that government and health officials are either suggesting or imposing, is that analogous to the prison and living in a city in isolation? Is that the same thing? Or is it a situation where we need to take risks? And it would be a risk, but take risks for the sake of our brethren to stir one another up to love and good works. These are tough questions, and they're things we need to carefully consider and examine the scriptures and think carefully about. It is crucial that we not lose sight of the fact that assembling together and not just in small informal groups or in personal one-to-one connections, but assembling together as a church is a crucial, crucial, vital, life-saving element of Christian practice. And we're going to need to work together to figure out how to accomplish that and when to put that back together and to be pursuing this. And this is something people all over the place are struggling with. And I'm very thankful that a lot of people express their thoughts about this because I'm working on it, thinking about it, praying about it, and studying the Scripture on it. But let's not let any sort of absence allow us to diminish the importance or to um, try to justify our behaviors by saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, look, it is a big deal. We may consider ourselves unable to do this thing that is a big deal, but it's a huge deal, and we need to maintain that and understand the, the sacred nature of Christians coming together and the church gathering together for worship and encouragement and investing time in one another. And, by the way, the sacred responsibility we have to do many other things to help one another in those informal groups or individually. Christians being together is vital. But also, we have to make sure that we do things in ways that honor the Lord, that are right in His sight, that are for the good of our neighbors and our fellow men and most of all our brethren. The location where a church assembles, how many people compose a church as it assembles, what time of day a church assembles, these matters are insignificant. The key here is that followers of Jesus join themselves together and regularly maintain church assemblies to build each other up in the Lord. There are rare and temporary instances that church assemblies are not possible, either for groups or for individuals. And when those moments come, Saints of the Lord should mourn and long to assemble as a church again and do whatever is within our power to maintain this vital practice. May God give us wisdom. May God give us patience. May God give us courage. May God give us mercy toward one another as we work to do what He would want us to do and what would be best to accomplish His purposes and His will. God bless you.